Welcome to this third bonus episode of The District. I'm Paula Penfold. I'm Eugene Bingham. You know, sometimes we uh, have a little bit of a laugh amongst ourselves at Stuff Circuit, that we are actually old crimes are us, because for some reason we often seem to seem to gravitate towards, you know, old crimes, <laughs> unsolved crimes and miscarriages of justice. And the one that we want to tell you about in today's bonus episode is not actually... Uh, directly connected with the crew homicide case, but it's one, Eugene, that you are particularly intrigued by. I just find it's echoes of what happened in the crew murder are quite spooky. Right. Okay, step us back in time all the way to... 1920. 20? 1920? Mm. So it's just after the war, Mm -hmm. just after the First World War, and New Zealand is still actually a dominion at that time. It's not even... You know, gone beyond that stage. So really fledgling. And we are back in Pukekawa, where uh-huh. the crew murders happen. Same district. Mm-hmm. And so on the banks of the Waikato River, and mm-hmm. there's uh, a soldier who's been away to war, and he returns, Sydney Ear. Yeah, so Sydney Ear, he farmed 600 acres sheep farm, described as one of the best worked farms in the district, and a guy who by all accounts was really popular in the district as well. He had been, I haven't quite seen why this was, and most of our information about this is drawn from previous media coverage in the 1920s, Mm -hmm. coverage of the trial and so on. He went, he was unwell, and he was sent to Canada to recuperate when war broke out, and so he ended up being enlisted into the, or fighting for the 50th Canadian Scottish Regiment and went to the front line in Russia and Siberia. So he eventually comes home from war to his farmland in Pukekawa. And this is the intriguing part. Well, there's Mm. quite a lot that's intriguing, but he comes home without warning his wife. Yeah, and so I guess you could say the war had ended, but he didn't find peace because while he was away, a succession of farm workers had helped with the farm uh, where his wife Millie and their children were and one worker, Samuel John Thorne, had stayed in the house. I can see where this is going. Yeah, that went there. So one night, one of the heir's sons, suspicious about what was going on, watched through a crack in his bedroom door and he saw his mother and Samuel Thorne engaging in, and I love this phrase, what he called improper relations. The old improper relations. So Millie Eyre did actually later confess that there had been a relationship with Samuel Thorne, but she insisted that it was over by the time her husband had returned. But obviously things were a bit mm, tense. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, this was wartime and... Uh, you know, Sydney Air had been away for a long time and so on. So I guess we need to remember that context. But the struggles of soldiers reintegrating, reintegrating into home life after conflict is, you know, a pretty old story. So the years tried their best. They tried to get on with things. Um, Until? Mm. So August 24, 1920, Sydney Air is asleep in his bed, single bed in his room. Someone points a gun through the window and fires. Mm. Mm. Millie Air is asleep on another bed in the same room and she hears someone running away behind the house and sends one of her sons out the front door for help. The doctor comes, but it's too late. Too late, yeah. So Sydney Air, this respected and well-loved member of the district, is dead. So obviously it's a huge scandal um, within the district and 
is the cause cause of a major police investigation. They began looking at the type of ammunition which had been used and the location from which the fatal shot had been fired through the window, and they concluded the shooter could only have been left-handed. Now, that's one of the little echoes of the crew case. Of course, obviously, there's the district, but uh, you'll remember from the district that uh, the crews were shot through a window, and there was a lot of focus on ammunition. There was. So back in this 1920 murder, the police also looked closely at the horseshoe tracks nearby, and guess what? Samuel John Thorne, he had recently bought ammunition like that used in the murder. He was left-handed, and he had a horse who had the same shoes, which left tracks like the ones found at the scene. So he's arrested and charged with Sydney Ayres' murder. Yeah, and again, this is where there's another uh, echo of the crew case. He maintains his innocence. He pleads not guilty. He uh, goes to trial, but he insists that he didn't do it. But on the 20th of December 1920, he's hanged at Mount Eden Jail. And before his execution, he strongly maintains his innocence, protests that the police had treated him unjustly. Sound familiar? And among his final words were, I did not commit this murder and I don't know who did. Mm. So why is it that you're so taken with this particular case? Well, like I say, it's just another intriguing case in the district. And it's another example where there's claim of injustice, an innocent man, and really it just sort of speaks to that theme we had in the podcast of injustice spreading through a district, through families, through generations. And, you know, half century on from that initial tragedy, the murder of Sydney Eyre, there's another murder in the district, which, remember Margaret... Stucky, Stucky, Buster's wife, Desis and Arthur's sister. Yeah, she talked about that curse that she felt in the district. Maybe that's where it began back in 1920.